Welcome back to the Rouge Report, the show that brings you all the latest news, gossip and analysis from the world of cycling. Just Pat, aka the Lantern Rouge, here with you today. This is a full interview I have with Matthias Norsgaard Jorgensen, a young 22-year-old Danish cyclist, a time trial specialist. He's two meters tall and he's part of the sort of triumvirate of three time trial specialists from Denmark, being him, Mikkel Berg, and Johan Price Pedersen. You may have seen the video I had on my channel in the last week or so with excerpts from this from this interview with Matthias. And subsequent to that, to this interview, it's actually been rumored that he's going to be signed with Movistar. So he won a stage of Tour de l'Avenir this year. He attempted to break the Danish hour record, and I think there's big things to come from from him and his future. And this interview, he's very candid, very honest, and I think this is one of the most interesting interviews I've ever heard from a young cyclist that's definitely about to join the world tour and shake things up, particularly in the flat races. So hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Matthias now. He's called in. He's from a cafe in uh, in Copenhagen. He just landed from Girona. So I think the thing I want to know first, Matthias, is why, what's this Danish hour record thing that seems to be going on between you, Mikkelberg, uh, it's Martin, Martin Toff Madsen. Is there some sort of competition going on between all you guys? <laughs> no, actually not. I think there is a big uh, rivalry between uh, Martin and, and Mikkel at the moment. They're just uh, really close to each other also on the road. But uh, actually it was uh, the plan from the beginning for my sister, who is also dating Mikkel, uh, to try to break uh, the world hour record for women's. Uh, but sadly, she got injured um, right before uh, the World Championships um, and she couldn't uh, participate. So I was just like, uh, I was actually on a six-hour ride uh, two days after the under 23 Worlds. Um, and I went home. Uh, I watched uh, watch, um, Mats Peterson who won uh, the mini lead race. And I was like, okay. I just want to try something, uh, something crazy because uh, it seems like the world is going crazy now. If Dane uh, can win the, the world championship, uh, we can do everything. <laughs> so I was, I was just like, uh, you know, joking with Megan. Yeah, I'm just gonna take Emma's spot because she was uh, supposed to do uh, the hour record uh, attempt in the in the morning, and then uh, Megan would do it in the evening in the uh, once. Uh, uh, a Danish city where they have a pretty good uh, velodrome, yeah, and he was like, "Oh, this is gonna be so much fun!" And um, yeah, we went to the track and we did some testing. I didn't really know how fast I could go, but I was pretty sure that I was on the same level as uh, Miguel was last year. So I had like um, a, a goal in uh, in my mind that it would be. Uh, 50 53k um for for one hour um and and actually the preparation was quite good because me and Mikkel have the same trainer so he knew all the the strategy um and all the training towards uh, a good uh, hour record since uh, Mikkel have done two very very good attempts on, on the hour record. So, um, yeah, I was just pushing in pedals and uh, 
and and my trainer did the work the preparation um, and i was really lucky that they already had a spot for me yeah, yeah. because otherwise there would have been too much planning and uh, since it was only a danish hour record i didn't need the uci to be there i only had to um, to have um commissaires from Denmark to be there if I did break it uh, they could say that my bike was legal and uh, stuff like that and I should have uh, a doping test but uh, yeah and the plan was just for me to go in the morning and then uh, Mikkel in the evening but then Mikkel got sick and I was just uh, alone and I actually felt pretty alone because the velodrome was pretty empty it was only my family not even uh, any guy from the team came, so I was just, okay, I'm just going to do this and see how far I can get. Because in my mind, I had this idea that if I did longer than uh, a guy like Rohan Dennis, a World Tour team would probably look at me and say, oh, this guy, he has some serious power and he's pretty big uh, for, for, a bike, for a bike rider. Also a normal person because I'm like two, two meters tall. Um, maybe they could see that okay we can use this guy in a team time trial or like a really good uh, teammate for anybody who does uh, classics or yeah you know just in the world tour peloton so it was it was just also because I was in really good shape so I just wanted to use my my form for something fun and since I didn't have any races I thought that uh, one hour in the pain cave would be quite funny. What I've heard, heard from you there and what I've sort of surmised from your, your preparation in Strava and, and Instagram is basically Matthias is 22 years old, just ridden UCI World Champs ITT, and then you've decided sort of spur of the moment, oh, let's just do an, an hour record attempt. And how not it was at sea level. I don't even think you didn't even use a track bike. Is that right? You used the Pinarello Road TT bike and you sort of made it fixed gear. And then how many kilometers did you actually do at the end of the day? So if you if you try the attempt at altitude in Colombia, where a lot of the hour record attempts have been set at 28 degrees temperature, can you explain, because even I don't really understand this as well, what difference would it make in actual distance sort of being at 28, 28 degrees and at altitude, is that worth almost like over a kilometre, you know, 1,200 metres? Yeah, for sure. But still, uh, I did Tour de l'Avenir where we also did uh, this uh, mountain stage, uh, one hour full gas in the, also in the altitude. And I could really feel that I didn't have the same power. I didn't have the same energy. Actually, I would probably have won that stage if I did that <laughs> at that day. But um, yeah, I, I actually don't know. Also, it's quite expensive. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, have a World Tour team who is interested in me to break it. Uh, and then I need to focus a whole season on altitude training um, and just um, adapting to uh, yeah the thin air. Because if I could do the same power in uh, in Colombia and have a bit better equipment, I would probably beat the hour record. Because I believe that uh, Campanas did uh, 330 watts. Uh, and of course, he's much more error than me. But still, I 
I'm not that on arrow, so it should be possible. And as I said, just on the, on the temperature, I could gain 800 uh, meters just if I have the op- optimal um, yeah, temperature. So actually for a normal person to hear these uh, stats, it's just, uh, it's like, yeah, you're just kidding us. It's just uh, lame excuses. I told my uh, my DS that uh, I could probably have done uh, 53 if everything if was good. And he was just, yeah, 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 it's good. Because, you know, he's old school. He did the Tour de France in, in the 90s. So he's just, uh, he don't know error. He don't know anything. But pushing hard in the pedals, he surely knows. Um, so, yeah, it's that's also why I, I think it's a weird record. Uh, or, yeah, I, if I should have made it, uh, if I was UGI, I would probably say that. This uh, our record attempt should be done on, um, yeah, in, in in the UCI headquarter where they have a velodrome. Yeah, standard. It should be standardized condition. And right now, it's all about who have the uh, the financials to do it because a guy like me or yeah, Mikkel uh, Mikkel Biak wouldn't have the money right now to go up there and try to uh, break it. And uh, yeah. You have to be pretty sure if you want to spend yeah twenty thousand euros <coughs> to break a record. Well, let's think about think about Bradley Wiggins' record attempt. Think about like months in advance the the marketing, the advertising, the sponsors, the corporate sponsors that got on board, the whole crowd, British Cycling got behind it. Like that was a massive event. Think of the money that like would have been put into that he got a whole like custom designed bike and you know like all the best like all the conditions optimized for him and he did what 53.7 something like that so yeah i see what you mean like if you if you or mickle had that sort of level of investment and then just like we just watched a similar sort of event you know which is elliot kipchoge breaking the two-hour marathon barrier where they like they close off the Vienna, um, the Vienna ring, and they pick a window of time when the pressure's right, when the weather's right, when the temperature's right, and they block out like a week because they can afford to, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly to, to make sure the conditions are optimal. And so, yeah, that's not possible for like you know young guys like like you. Yeah, and if you see that it even matters when you only are running. Yeah, not only, but if you're running. Uh, at a speed of uh, 20 kilometers per hour or 21 or how much it was so just imagine doing a 55k an hour arrow matters a lot more um, so yeah it's <laughs> but if if you see on Bradley I think that uh, if he would have done it in, uh, in altitude under the perfect conditions he would probably have set an and record that wouldn't be breakable in yeah maybe fifty years until they have some pretty good uh, uh, equipment um, on the bike. Really? So because why do you say that? Because his watts, his watts per kilo and, and CDA were just so good. Yeah, yeah. On, on the track, uh, the watch uh, per kilo it doesn't matter actually. Uh, but it's watch uh, watch to uh, CDA that really matters. And if you look at this guy, he's like he's perfect uh, suited for TT. He uh, looks super arrow, 
uh, and yeah, he is probably the strongest guy uh, we have seen for like uh, 20 years. He could do uh, the Tour de France, he could time trial, he could, uh, yeah, he could maybe even win uh, Paris-Roubaix if he had invested uh, a little bit more time in it. So yeah, this guy, maybe Jaron Thomas would be uh, would be able to do it because he his profile is maybe uh, really close to Bradley. But I just think that Bradley was a, a wonder kid. Uh, and when we're speaking of uh, wonder kids, maybe a guy like Remco uh, is a guy that we can um, yeah we can be pretty excited about if he starts to uh, try to break it because yeah he is the mini mercs uh, Eddie Merckx so yeah why not try to break the hour record as well uh, because if he already wins uh, Grand Tour next year there won't be much left in the sport for him. Grand Tour next year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you reckon? Bring, uh, classic uh, San Sebastian uh, as a first year so why not <laughs> Yeah. yeah true i mean seriously though i was well because i did a video i did like a live stream of when the tour de france route 20 the 2020 route came out and i was looking through like who ineos would bring who jumbo visma would bring and then who would be sort of leading quick step and i was like shit they, they really don't have too many guys in support of alaphilippe next year they they're gonna have to like remco will have to go like not even because of the marketing exposure, which is one the major reason I think he should go for the sport, but also because he'd probably be like the second best helper in the mountains for Alaphilippe next year, or even for stage wins. Like he could for sure get a stage win next year at the Tour de France. Yeah, for sure. But still, we have the Olympics, and if you if you can become uh, second in a world championship uh, the year before uh, the. The, the Olympics, I would probably say that he should go for the Olympics because that's probably a, 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 a parkour which suits him better next year with a lot more climbs uh, and stuff like that. And if you if he has a good win there again, you could probably develop into a guy who could be the Rohan Dennis already next year. So it's gonna be I don't know. If I was uh, Belgium uh, Federation, I would probably say to him that he should uh, maybe do the Giro or don't do any Grand Tour next year. Just try to win uh, the Olympics as the youngest uh, bike rider ever. So, yeah, yes, um, yeah, I'm really happy that I'm not his agent because he's probably, uh, he has a lot of uh, things to do. So let's talk about, you mentioned, seeing as you brought Remco up, he's on the complete other end of the sort of anthropology spectrum to you. He's sort of, what, five foot six, 172 centimeters maybe. I'm, I'm just guessing. He's listed, at, he's listed at like 62 kilos. I kind of think Remco is a little bit heavier just based on, the, he did a 20-minute power test, I think, in 2018. It's on Strava and it was like, 420 watts for 20 minutes and i think uh, vasheva a belgian guy got a com on the same climb and did 360 watts and he was listed at 61 kilos so i that didn't either remco's power meters over reading a lot or 
He's actually like 65, 66 kilos. But is he why is why is he so good is obviously it's the watts to cda but is it because of his sort of smaller physiology that can that he can get into like a unique position yeah i think so because if you look uh, 10 years ago if you looked at a big guy you would say yeah he's a good at tt but now it's just all about aerodynamics um, and and the power so uh, i think that He's just, he's just, um, he's just uh, made like he's the perfect athlete because he's light and he's aerodynamic, uh, and he certainly got some big power in his legs because he's riding like, yeah, like he's the world's strongest man at the moment. So uh, just the the attack in Deutschland tour. So yeah, I think that we're gonna see. It's because when I when I watch the, the tour and uh, those races, I always hear the commentators say, "Yeah, he's not gonna he's gonna lose so much time because he's so tiny, he's so small." But actually, it doesn't matter anymore. You see, a guy like Bob Jungles, who maybe w- was supposed to be a really good TT rider, he's not really good because he's not aerodynamic enough. And then we have Remco, he's a small guy with the uh, yeah, Rocklist, exactly. Um, then we also have the guys like Filippo Ghana, but I just think that his power is outrageous, that it's something that, yeah, it makes every trainer in the world, uh, yeah, it's a fantasy. So, so you think, so why why is Filippo Ghana, let's get right into the detail then of position. I'll bring, I'm bringing a photo up of Filippo Ghana now on the screen in his TT position. Why? Why is he un aero and like what like what what jumps out at you about like why do you say his power is so good and his error is not so good? If you look at him, you will see that he's uh, close to two meters tall, but he's this really good on his uh, TT bike. So his CDA, I would guess, it's just a guess, would be like one point twenty one, while Remco would probably be uh, one. Point sixteen or something like that. That's like eighty watts difference. Not that it it, it is the exact number, but it's just to make uh, the listeners uh, have an idea how much it matters. And that means that if Remco is doing like four hundred watts, Filippo Ghana needs to do a four eighty, and then he also weighs like twenty kilos more, so it's near. 500 watts and that's just not possible for yeah yeah it's probably is but but it's it's never seen before that a guy can do uh, 500 watts for for a very long time like you like Remco can probably do 400 for half an hour and i wouldn't believe that uh, filippo would be able to do 500 for for 30 for 30 minutes so he's He's probably, yeah, he's probably never going to beat Remco again because he's, unless that he finds something different on his bike that he can do, maybe to set back the saddle or something like that, stress more out. I don't know. Uh, Ineos probably know better than me. Maybe they already find the perfect position for him. Um, but that's the reason. So watch per kilo doesn't matter anymore. 
uh, yeah, if it's really the course, like we saw Alain Philippe uh, won in uh, the Tour de France, if you look at him, he's, he doesn't, his arrow position is quite awful, but his watch per kilo is, is probably uh, what really good. Um, so that's a course where it would uh, also fit Remco. So he's just, uh, yeah, he's the perfect athlete. So versatile, yeah, like he could do, yeah, and you, what you just described where Filippo Ganna will never beat him, that's in perfectly flat conditions. So then the minute you add any elevation, Remco's advantage just increases even more. Yeah, his watch per kilo is probably even better than his watch per CDA, if you understand. So, yeah, he's... Filippo, yeah, guys like Filippo Ghana and me, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, we have the size against us. Um, but then we have a, a guy like Mikkel Björk, who is just, yeah, he's quite light, actually, and he's not that big. So his CDA is, is, is good, uh, and his power to power to kilo is also really, really good. So he can also climb. So I, I, that's probably why we have seen him win uh, the last three uh, under 23 uh, World Championships. And I really hope that next year he's going to step up and uh, going to maybe win a, a big race next year um, in the World Tour with UAE. So, um, yeah, he's also a really, uh, really exciting guy to watch. Is he about, is he like 188? He looks, is he like Rowan Dennis size, somewhere sort of in but just over six foot, six foot two size? No, he's actually like uh, 193, I, I believe. So, but still, if you look at his position, it's just... Yeah, it's it's beautiful if you ask me, um, and I know that he spends a lot of time to see if he can do anything better. And yeah, he even spends his uh, off season on error testing, um, so he's he's really serious about the TTs. And um, yeah, I, I actually believe that next year is going to be a break for a year on the World Tour. So you mentioned, uh, oh, you could you could stretch Gunner out, maybe get better CDA. If I said to you, I want to, I want to put you on an even bigger bike and then stretch you right out, and then that will bring your chin down two centimeters, but then it'll change your hip angle. Then if you change the hip angle like that, are you, you know, are you going to lose fifteen watts of power because of the change in leg position? Yeah, but still, you have to. Uh, it doesn't matter to give me a bigger bike because we have this. Uh, we have the UCI rules that we can only go on the maximum of um, eighty-five from uh, the bottom bracket to the end of the shifters. So we we can't sit like uh, like uh, triathletes uh, and stuff like that. So what I'm gonna do this winter is that I'm gonna put my saddle really long in the setback. I'm going to put it a little bit down and I'm going to test if that's more arrow. Otherwise, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I would try that at first um, and test it on the velodrome, see if it's more arrow. And if it is that, I will use the whole window on, um, you know, just training in the position because then I will probably get the power back but if you just do it from one day to another, you will probably lose uh, 30 watts, 40 watts. Um, so I have the winter to do it. 
Um, that's like. Oh, when I was looking at your your power file on Strava for the hour record attempt, did you want to do a positive split? Because I noticed the first fifteen minutes were four sixty watts, four sixty five watts. Was that your target wattage, or were you? I think you averaged four forty for the entire effort. Was was that the target wattage? No, no, my my target was to do four four twenty watts. But still, you have this fixed gear, so you have to go at one speed. Otherwise, you're gonna fuck your your legs up. So, um, but I did the biggest the beginner's mistake of my life, not having my um, yeah, you know, the weather um, station at with me, so I couldn't see that it was much uh, lower temperature than normally. I couldn't see the pressure was much higher. That was something I found out after because. Uh, one of the guys who was at the velodrome had it on his, uh, yeah, he brought his own uh, station with him. So it's just like going out at 460 watts the first uh, 10 minutes or something like that. And uh, to be honest, that was the hardest part of the, the hour record because uh, I went way over my, uh, my limit uh, already in the beginning. Then I had like 30 minutes where I was just like, I really wanted to quit because it was just awful. Uh, I had so much uh, pain in my legs. I had so much pain in, yeah, actually in my ball sack because there was not uh, <laughs> so much uh, blood flowing uh, in those parts of the body. And actually, it's one of the hardest uh, things because it's not uh, it's not like if you do like a twenty minutes test where you have lactate from tips to toe. Um, it's more like a marathon uh, distance. So, of course, you have uh, pain in your legs, but um, it's more like a mental game. So, when it starts hurting in uh, those parts of... Because you can't move. You yeah, can't exactly. move from position. Because if you saw like uh, Jens Fock did in uh, his first uh, hour record attempt, he was moving on the saddle, standing and uh, stuff like that. And that's just uh, that's just stupid. So you have to eat the pain for one hour, then you can, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what I did, but it, it actually hurt a lot. Um, so you have to stay in the saddle. That's uh, rule number one. You have to keep uh, being arrow, otherwise you could just quit. So that's interesting. So your target wattage was 420. You say that you made like an error, not adjusting for the, the temperature, but and went out at 460 for the first 15, but then... That meant you did 20 minute, twenty watts more than your target for the overall effort. So it's almost like the positive split worked, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of studies now showing like, oh, probably a lot of cyclists, just an even pacing strategy works. And it's not like running because previously people applied like the science of running where you do, oh, you, you should do a negative split. You know, you should a sign of a well-paced effort is a, is a negative split, whereas I'm not sure if the science really backs that up for cycling so much. No, me neither. But I would say you have to um, you have to understand that I couldn't look at my... Uh, you, you, you're not allowed to um, look at your garment while you're doing it. It has to be uh, hidden from you. So you only go on the lap splits. And I had my trainer giving me splits every one uh, kilometers so when i was doing negative uh, splits or when i was going slower than i was um yeah uh, scheduled to do um 
I understand now. Okay, yeah, that makes sense now. And so you just increase the power more. Yeah, I just thought that why am I so bad today? Because two years, uh, two two days ago, I could do uh, fifty free for like half an hour without any problems. So now I can even keep it for ten minutes. So it was just. Yeah, it was really stupid. And because I had this fi- fixed gear, which was uh, 6014, uh, which is quite big uh, on the track, um, because that was what Mikkel went with last year. So I was just, I'm going to do the same. Uh, I didn't have the time to experience so, so much uh, on that part. I just uh, had to do a few uh, TT intervals, and that was it. Um, and actually at 30, uh, no, 53, it's it's quite good yeah, cadence for me, but I I didn't do that speed, so it was just maybe a little bit too much for me. So that's that's the beginner uh, the be- beginner mistake, uh, and probably also the only mistake I made that day. Uh, but still, we're, it was really hard to come back because you can't rest any time of even when I was resting, I was doing like four, 420 watts. And um, yeah, that, that's not resting uh, if you have tried to ride with a power meter. Um, so yeah, I was, if, I, if I would do it again, I would probably start a little bit more steady and then go full gas the last uh, 20 minutes because mentally it's, uh, it's much easier to go full gas the last... 20 minutes on our record, if uh, if you ask me. But uh, for other guys, it would probably be um, yeah not, not the same pacing strategy. But um, yeah, if I do it again, I would probably start a little bit slower. Your your power curve, your power profile, is it upward sloping in that you got really good watts at sort of the one hour, obviously, and then 30 minutes, and then relative watts per kilo at like five seconds is not so good or is it like consistent across various times i think my uh, five minutes uh, is quite good my 20 minutes is also quite good uh, and then my one hour but uh, it's not virtual level if you look on the curve um i don't yeah i think it's made for climbers uh, because if you're my size, on, on a bad day, I'm like 80, 85 kilos. So I need to put some serious, seriously watch down to uh, make it uh, 6.2 watch per kilo in uh, 20 minutes. And that's never going to happen. But if you put me on the flat, I will probably be uh, one of the strongest uh, in the pro peloton. Um, and hopefully you're gonna see me next year pulling uh, some uh, big team in the in the world tour. But I can't I can't say that right now. Uh, but I hope to share the news with you uh, in a week's time. Um, oh really? Because I thought you were signed for the Rivas Ready team in the Danish Pro Conti team next year. That's what I saw on Pro Cycling Stats. Okay, so I'll be interested to hear that news. So what what do you, what do you see your role being in the world tour? Do you see so like there's like Stein Vandenberg obviously had pretty good success. He didn't win many races himself at all, just about. But you know, I I just remember him 
you know, breaking the wind for Nicky Terpstra and Tom Bonin for years for Quick Step. Do you obviously you could do that, but do you want to do more? You see yourself doing way more than that at World Tour level. Or you obviously won stage one of Tour de l'Avenir this year. Do you want to also stay, you know, a, you know, attacking World Championships time trial events? Like, where do you see what? What are your goals in the World Tour level? I'm, uh, to be honest, I don't have the ambitions to uh, become uh, a guy who wins a lot of races. Um, I'm gonna work my ass off, uh, and if I'm suddenly a guy who can win races, I'm gonna be that guy. But I really like to make the big effort for for my captains. Uh, I did this. I did it this year for the under twenty three. Um, Riders on the national team, and I actually believe that I made a big, uh, yeah, I, I I made them win some races, um, and that's make that makes me maybe even more proud than uh, winning myself because I just like to uh, do the good uh, the good work, uh, and I really like to uh, be one of the factors uh, on a team that makes uh, other people win. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's my only ambition. Um, not said that I'm not gonna try to win races because I still have my TT, and that's where I can shine. Um, I'm not sure if I'm gonna do the world championships uh, for the next uh, two or three years, but I can probably uh, do good in uh, smaller state races like Tour of Britain, um, Tour of Denmark, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, that would be great for me to be a guy like Tim DeClerc pulling uh, a hours a day in the, in the Giro or the Vuelta or whatever. Uh, I would be super proud to be that guy uh, because I always seen them like my big idols. Uh, we had the last back who just did his uh, last race for Dimension Data. He uh, he's always I've always been a big admirer of him. And uh, when I was a kid, he was uh, this monster. Okay, that's cool. That's awesome. Like, I must be sort of rewarding having having a role on a team and, and sort of knowing what your role is. And yeah, like you can especially like be so useful in in stage races as well, or or you know mainly probably classics. Is so useful, like the clerk as well, and especially I remember, you know, Stein Vandenberg just bringing breaks back, controlling the race. Like it's super important. Like for the guys winning the race, is their ability to not have to work as hard or to be brought back into favorable favorable situations is like the key to winning big classics races. So what what are your what are your plans for for the off season then? Like how do you approach you you have the off season. Do you focus on an, an aspect of your power profile? Do you focus on getting aero? Is it all all those things? Is it building aerobic fitness or maybe sort of your thirty second to three? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time on the velodrome testing. But then I'm also going to do a lot of of hours in in Girona on the bike. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna see where the where my develop and takes me I'm gonna do a, a lot of different training of course because if I suddenly become a guy who can do a lead out I would also be really happy to do that but right now I'm just really good at you know 
keeping 400 watts for like uh, two or three hours. So uh, that would also be good to uh, be better at that. So, uh, yeah, I'm also going to spend some time in the gym uh, just to become stronger at sprinting and stuff like that because that's also something you can use in the peloton. All those accelerations um, out of the corners and, uh, yeah, if you have to do a final, uh, a finale, where you have to bring your captain uh, first to the finish line. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to focus a lot more on, on the road racing next year uh, because uh, I believe I have a good level on the TG already now in a young age. So uh, I don't think that's going to disappear just because I'm going to spend a little bit more on my road bike because as it seems now, I'm, I've probably uh, used my TG bike uh, 50-50 uh, compared to my road bike. So, uh, yeah, a little bit more. So, you don't, like, do you think it's even possible that if you do sort of shorter testing, like anaerobic training, that could, like, help help the overall power profile or it doesn't really work that way? Or maybe, who knows, who knows how your body will react, I guess, like you're only 22, only time will tell. Yeah, as, as my trainer said that, if you want to be a really good TT next year, you still have to do the sprints during, uh, during the winter. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen my video. I looked at Egan Bernal's five-week training block before the Tour de France. I looked at like I looked at every interval he did and the power data. He did hard sprints. Like He's like 59 kilos. He was doing like 1,100 watt, 1,050 10, 10, 10, watt sprints like two, three times a week efforts and sprints all the time at, at the end of sort of long climbs and I was thinking wow like people don't you wouldn't ex- people wouldn't really expect that from sort of you'd think oh well he's just going to do 20 to 60 minute power on long climbs in the in the last block but nah he was sprinting constantly yeah i i believe if you want to be a complete rider you have to get uh, anaerobics and aerobics with you so i actually heard from a trainer that if i wanted to uh, become even better next year on the TT. I needed to do uh, you know, really short sprints also, and also with the, mixed with the gym. So yeah, I don't know much about training. That's why I have a trainer. But uh, yeah, I'm also going to do uh, short sprints and 30, minute, uh, 30 second sprints um, to, to become a better TT rider. And that's funny because I never thought about that. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mateus, for for joining me for the the call. This this whole the whole recording I'm going to put up as a podcast. Standing offer to all the young Danish TT guys. If you want to skip skip the winter, skip the European winter, come to the Gold Coast in December, December, January, and come hang out on the Gold Coast. 25, 28 degrees, perfect sunlight, good climbs, no cars beaches you gotta see i know i know pedersen just won because he trains in denmark and you got the horrible weather <laughs> yeah maybe we will see each other uh, oh i recommend uh, down under who knows yeah two down under for sure